What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 23, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, In the Line of Duty. And you can find us duty on google play podcasts and on spotify podcasts and on apple podcasts and on our own rss feed which is a thing over there that i don't have the address to but whatever when you find us you should rate us and review us and then tell all your friends and then have them subscribe and rate and review us and it goes on and on much like much like my heart zach my heart will go on your heart just goes on and on yeah, from the 51st position of the top 100, but, you know, whatever. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, but... Uh, all right, all right. So, if you want to get a hold of us and tell us how crazy you think Brent is, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Wow, that was smooth, man. Smooth, I, you know, I had practice earlier today. Yes, yeah, right. That's right. Uh, for those of you who are astute and have already listened to our retrospective of season one, you will know that we are recording this um, basically the same time as we recorded that. And mm-hmm. so uh, we've recorded a lot of audio today. And uh, we just keep on going. But we do this for you. We, we do this. Do, we're, you. we're a juggernaut. We're a podcasting juggernaut. I wouldn't go that far. Jugga, 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 jugga. Well, well, how could, else could they? How else could they contact us, Zach? Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't want to email us, or for whatever uh-huh. reason you have forgotten what the email address is, by the way, it is <laughs> walking through the stargate at gmail.com, You could find us on Twitter and uh, talk to us there at Stargate Walking, uh-huh. uh, or go to Facebook. And you can find us on their Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, by all means, like us, follow us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do try to uh, put some things out there uh, on a semi-regular basis. I'm getting better, and I'm also yeah, not you're doing very a good. Job. good. Um, yeah. We also have a Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate uh, group. And I made all of those the same so that they're easier for you to find. Yes. And not confusing at all. Not confusing at all. Nah. No. Um, so that's how you can get a hold of us. Um, we still don't have any jingles. We still <laughs> love jingles. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I'm Although, just saying, uh, for as, yeah, for as, know, much, uh, as much uh, uh, singing and sampling of songs that we do, you know, like I suppose one could just sort of try to stitch all that together and, you know, declare that the jingle. Um, hey, that, that, that could very well be true. Yeah, um, it would sound like junk, but, you know, it's a thought. <laughs> you know, auto-tune it, and you can make it sound cool. You. Uh, <laughs> 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 I wonder so, what it would sound like. Uh, I don't know. Um, but those of you who have auto-tune out there, uh-huh. find out and yeah. let us know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brett, shall we get into In the Line of Duty? Yes, we shall. We shall. Okay, so In the Line of Duty is directed by Martin Wood. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is his first of five directing credits this season. So just think Uh, about that. Five directing credits in uh, like 21 or 22 episodes. Now, he's the dude that has like 7,000 directing credits to his name, right? Uh, Well, at least for Stargate, yes. You're right. Uh the actual number was 70? Is that no, right? Like Something like 47, that? 47, I think. Oh, 40. Like almost, oh, 40. It, it was like tw- almost 25% of all of the episodes are directed by yeah. Martin Yeah, okay. All right. So then um, he's a little off pace with five out of 20-something, but yeah, he'll, well, he'll, he'll get know. right back on pace, I'm sure. Well, actually, five out of 21 or 22 is right about just a smidge less than oh, you're right. quarter. Yeah. So he's right okay. on pace. Yes, he is. Um, so if you want to know more about Martin Wood, the director of Stargate SG-1, go and listen to some of our other podcasts. But yes. since I've talked a lot about Martin Wood, I figured I would just, you know, Google Martin Wood and Wikipedia and see what happens. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> so when you look at Wikipedia on Martin Wood, there are four different people named Martin Wood that you could, you know, link to. And one of them is Martin B. Wood. And I want to tell you a little bit about Martin B. Wood, Brent. Martin B. Wood. Okay, tell me about so, Martin B. Wood. He was born September 16th, 
1807, and he died on December 23rd, 1881. And Ah. he was an American farmer, a banker, a telegraph installer, and a shareholder. So he was married to Ezra Cornell's sister, Phoebe, in 1837. Uh Uh I'm supposed to know who Ezra Cornell is, but... Is he not the founder of Cornell University? It it could very well be. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Uh, He lived in Dryden, New York, and moved to a farm near Homer, Michigan in 1844. Hmm, Uh, I should know where Homer, Michigan is. You should, because, you know, you're from Michigan. Uh, So, Cornell asked Martin B. Wood to oversee the construction of his lines in Michigan, uh, rail lines in Michigan. Wood Wood was a shareholder in Cornell's company whose stock sold for $50 per share, and he was named treasurer in 1853. In the 1800s, $50 per share had to have been astronomical. Yeah. Uh, Phoebe... Wood's uh, wife and Ezra Cornell's sister ran the Albion Telegraph Office in 1849 and continued for eight years. And then when Mm -hmm. the Erie and Michigan line was rebuilt along the Michigan Central Railway by newly formed Western Union in 1856, Wood served as Master of Repairs for the Western Division and also for the Wabash Railway line. Mm Mm-hmm. So Wood was a member of the Albion Village Board in 1855 and village president. Yes, he was the village president Uh in 1859. He was the vice president and director of National uh, National Exchange Bank of Albion in 1865 and a member of the Board of Control of Albion College in 1865. Uh Uh-huh. So. In Michigan. In Michigan. So that's uh, that's Martin so I B. Got Wood. Some, I got I got I got a couple more pieces of information. Ezra Cornell indeed uh, was the namesake of Cornell University, but he was also the founder of Western Union. Ah, into that real fast. And also, uh, Homer, Michigan, is nowhere near uh, Bay City. Uh, it is in uh, basically the middle of the southern part of the mitt. Uh, looks to be kind of close to where Albion College is. If I'm just kind of glancing at it, but uh, their motto, their motto, Homer, Michigan's motto. Yes, Homer. Is home. Oh, they really, I, I you know, they, I really want they them really to really pulled out that. all the stops for that one. Yeah, and me, but but maybe what they really were doing was something like Homer is home, or you know something. Or get it? Yeah, get it? Or <laughs> get it? Or maybe maybe, maybe they're like home or uh, is home is home. <laughs> Who knows? So, what do you want to name this town? Home or good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> Yay! So, off the rails. Uh, so that would be Robert Wo- Robert Martin Wood. Uh, the Martin teleplay Wood. of In the Line of Duty is was written by Robert C. Cooper. This is his first of four writing credits in season two. Aha! For more okay. information about Robert, see previous podcast. Citation All right. So the original air date for In the Line of Duty was July 3rd, 1998. Number one on the charts yeah. uh, in the U.S. was still The Boy is Mine by Brandy and Monica. And in the U.K. Mm-hmm. it was still Three Lion 98 really? by Body L. Skinner, Lightning Seed. Three lines on that you hear. So did you listen to the song no. when I spliced it in last week? Uh, no. It was not uh, an EDM song at all, nor was it an EMP song. Uh, uh. It was very much a, uh, like, folk, f- not folk, but, you know, just gentle English rock. It was nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's a song, uh, Three Lions, is talking about the the uh, the insignia for the England national team uh, for... Um, for soccer because it was a World Cup. It was the 98 World Cup. That so explains why, why it was number one. Yeah, that's right. So they were really yep. into it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But when I was looking at when I was looking it up, I'm like, is this is this it? And it was a remake. <laughs> the reason why they call it Three Lions 98 is that they had recorded it in 94 uh, for the World Cup in 94. Um, 
and named it Three Lions. And then I think that there was a 2016 remake or something. Uh, but anyway, it, that's that was the whole thing. It was all about uh, soccer. Uh, okay, well, you know, because I know so much about soccer, I know so much about that. Uh, anyway, at the yeah, box office in on the week of the 4th of July, 1998, uh, number one was Armageddon. Uh-huh. So a little bit of Bruce Willis action there. Dr. Doolittle is number two. Mulan, Out of Sight, and The X-Files. Yes. Although, so, uh, what, was the, what was the Aerosmith song? Don't Want to Miss a Thing. That's what it was. The Aerosmith song from Armageddon, which is probably, uh, I don't know if it'll hit the number one spot in the U.S. charts, but there's a chance that we're going to see it coming up here in the future. Well, that could be. It was a terrible song. Well, yeah. Um, Armageddon is a not great movie either. So. I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, well, you know, I've managed to avoid that. Movies, you know, yeah. a, 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 an asteroid is heading towards Earth, and oh, who I do know you send up into space? Point. You send a uh, bunch of oil rig, oil growers. rig miners, yeah, um, to go there and blow it up because you that teach, makes sense. It's easier. It apparently is easier to teach. Uh, oil rig workers how to fly a space shuttle and then it is <laughs> <laughs> astronauts how to drill a well. <laughs> well yeah you know that was uh the same year that deep impact came out so you had two uh-huh. movies that were uh very different but also had the exact same uh premise of an asteroid heading straight towards earth was um uh, coming out uh elijah wood impact- was in that that's yes, I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. with the motorbike or with the dirt bike riding up the riding up the Appalachians. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that that'll one. end up in the top five somewhere. I haven't looked that closely. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. didn't come out at exactly the same time, but it was very close. Yeah. Uh, in any case, so uh, the original air date was July third, nineteen ninety eight. On July second, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is the second book in the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling was published by Bloomsbury in the UK. In the UK. Nice. Yeah. Cool. On July 4th, Malia Obama, uh, this is the daughter of Barack and Michelle Obama, former president of the United States and first lady. Uh, she was born in Chicago, Illinois, on July 4th, 1998. Now, is she nice. the older one or is she the younger one? She's the older one. She's the older one. Yes. Okay. I can't remember. Uh, I don't really care that much about the personal lives of the politicians so long as... Yeah, I had to think about that one for a while. Yep. On July 5th, uh, Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Roger Clemens collects his 3,000th career strikeout in a 2-1 win versus Tampa Bay. And he was the 11th person to achieve that 3,000 milestone. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays... I think they were the were, were they not the Marlins before? Speaking of the Marlins, hey, Florida uh, Marlins. I think I can't remember if the Florida Marlins turned into the Tampa Bay Rays or not, but probably not. The Florida Marlins probably turned into the like you know the 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 the, the Topeka windstorm and the <laughs> you know and the 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 Butte Buffalo turned into the Tampa Bay Rays. But that's, anyway, that's entirely possible. Yeah, uh, but Brent. So I read. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays pitcher won in a two to one win over Tampa Bay. You knew that that was the Tampa Bay Rays. Yes, I didn't. Well, I had you know. no idea what the name of the team was in Tampa Bay, and frankly, I didn't care a whole lot. Yeah, you know, it's uh, my brain is just chock full of useless knowledge. You know, I have learned that over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. It's true. Yep. So also on July fifth. Sid Luckman died, uh, and Sid Luckman means something to me because he is an American football player uh, from the nineteen fifties uh, is when forties and fifties is when he was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was born nineteen sixteen, and the reason why it's important for me is because he was the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Aha! And I am a big Bears fan. Uh, he was the quarterback there from nineteen thirty nine to nineteen fifty. Uh-huh. And during his 12 seasons with the Bears, he led them to four NFL championships. Uh, this would have been cool. before the Super Bowl began. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so go Sid Luckman. And interestingly, Sid Luckman is still arguably the best quarterback the Bears have ever had. 
You know, uh, the, the current quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, has potential yeah. of, of taking over that spot. Um, but, you know, there's some, we got to, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, on July 8th, Jaden Smith, uh, American actor from The Karate Kid, also the son of uh, Will Smith and, uh, what's her name? Oh, Jada Pinkett? Jada Pinkett. There, there you go. Yeah. Wow, pulled that one out of there. Yeah. I, I knew <laughs> I knew there was a Jada and a Pinkett in there, and I couldn't remember <laughs> what the order was. And then it was just Pinkett like, Jada. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was born on July 8, 1998. Happy birthday, sort of. It's not even close to July. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, all yeah, right. Well, all right. So uh, regarding in the line of duty. Uh, yes. The only trivia, really, that I have here is that this is the first episode that we hear Dr. Frazier's first name. Oh, uh, yeah, name I suppose is so. Janet, uh, and we've talked about Janet Frazier and all of that stuff. Sure. Uh, but it wasn't... This is the first time on screen? Mm-hmm. On screen, the first time that we see uh, that her name is, in fact, mm-hmm. Janet. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. You know you're important when you get a first name. Yes. True. Radar doesn't have you're a first name probably going to stick yet. around. Radar doesn't have a last name yet. That's true. Um, ah, sure, I'll tell you. Radar gets his first name before he gets his last name. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Radar. <laughs> uh, right. I'm going to start calling him. I'm going to have to start calling him Jim Radar here pretty soon, aren't Jim, I? Don't don't call him Jim Radar. Jim Radar. Um, uh, I've got some fun trivia facts about Radar uh, that I can't share with you until we learn his name. Uh, okay. But these were shared by one of our listeners who emailed us not too long ago. Uh, ah, nice. So, okay. So, uh, some of the goofs in this episode, when Teal'c leaves the holding cell, he swipes his access card to open the door. However, you can still see the magnetic stripe. Magnetic stripe, is yeah, clearly I saw visible that. Yeah. And does not yeah. pass through the reader, and yet it still no. opens. <laughs> yes. I also uh, found it fun. Uh, so the foley that they used for the sound of the unlocking of the door at the very beginning was all this ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. I mean, it was real, like, heavy bolt action. And right. the door opens, and then you're able to see the uh, the latching mechanism. And <laughs> it's just a regular door. I mean, it's like, it's it, there's there's, it, there's just a, one little yeah. plunger. There's no, there's no <laughs> ka-chunk. And so I'm sitting there like, well, maybe, like, magnets. I don't know. Like, <laughs> something magnets. I can't see. I know. It was fun. I, I, I had a little chuckle. I was like, yep. That's and, cool. and then also when uh, Daniel Jackson visits the Air Force Academy Hospital, he is wearing mm-hmm. his SG-1 uniform, uniform, complete with all the patches and whatnot. And Uh-huh. That's right. I that's yeah. highly unlikely that he would have been allowed to do that in that. Now, you could potentially retcon yeah. that and say, like, there were literally patients from other planets yes so that's exactly where i was going there was some stuff going on there um but still you know that that would be kind of a questionable thing to do but hey you know whatever oh you know what i'm just now realizing that in uh the serpent's lair where the plot point of don't alert the other nations because we want to look susceptible um, is a uh, it was also a plot device to keep the rest of the world in ignorance that the Gould actually exist. That's so, true. That's true. so the whole SG operation is still top secret. Like we nobody knows about it yet. Yes, still interesting. At, at cool. least as far as we know, we know nobody knows about it. Right, right. Um, you know who knows what those Brits are doing in that little yeah, island there. They haven't been given a first name yet. No, they're just the Brits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay oh just about sprayed uh, some delicious fizzy water all over everything okay carrying oh, on well <laughs> uh-huh. all right shall we uh dig into uh the synopsis for in the line of duty yes please uh, okay so uh this is uh mostly mine but i used the stargate command wiki as a framework uh for it 
The planet Nasia is in chaos. Ghoul death gliders are flying overhead, continually strafing the settlement. Nassians are dying. Fires blaze. Survivors are rushing toward the gate. SG-1, along with some other SGC personnel, are leading the evacuation, trying to defend the Nassians the best they can. Teal'c is defending the gate. Daniel is by the gate, drift, directing traffic through. This way, this way, this way. But then when he sees a Nassian man badly burned, he enlists some help and moves the survivor on through the gate. This way, this way, Carter and O'Neill are running toward the safety of the gate, leading a group of refugees. There is a child in O'Neill's arms. Now Carter stops to give CPR to a fallen villager. O'Neill continues on with the child, and when he reaches Teal'c, he hands the child over and turns back to get Samantha. While giving CPR, suddenly the Nassian man grabs her by the head. We hear something entering the captain through her mouth. Gagging, Carter pulls away and spits blood over the ground. But when she sits up again, we see her eyes glow. Mm-hmm. O'Neill helps Carter, but the man is dead. He bit his own tongue. So Carter and O'Neill make their way back to the Stargate. SGC personnel and 237 refugees from Nassia made it back to Earth safely. Carter tries to act as normal as possible, but during the mission briefing, briefing her colleagues notice something is different about her. And as the briefing ends, O'Neill reminds Carter that she still needs to be checked out by the doctor. In the infirmary, Dr. Janet Frazier gives the captain a physical exam and notices some abrasion in the back of her throat, but doesn't really think anything of it. Many of the Nassians were transferred to the nearby hospital at the Air Force Academy, and Frazier invites Samantha to check, out, check on the refugees as well as visit Cassandra, Janet's adopted daughter. At the hospital, Carter goes to visit Cassandra in the doctor's office. Cassie is excited to see her friend at first, but immediately notices something is odd about Sam. She hides behind the couch, frightened of the woman standing before her. Sam's eyes begin to glow. Meanwhile, Frazier is doing her rounds, checking on her patients. And as she departs one of the rooms, a badly burned Nassian man, probably the same one that uh, Jackson saved earlier, his chest begins to glow. Cassandra locked herself in Frazier's office and refused to talk to anybody except Colonel O'Neill. And when O'Neill arrives, Cassie tries to convince him that Carter is now a Gua'uld. Yeah, remember that badly burned Nassian man whose chest glowed? Well, when Dr. Jacobs, another one of the doctors, comes to examine his burns, the man wakes up and chokes the doctor. Peeling the bandages off his face, he is fully recovered. And we will soon discover that he is an Ashrak, a Gua'uld assassin. And he has a job to do. Putting Dr. Jacobs on the bed and wrapping him up as he had been wrapped up, the Ashrak departs looking for his target. Back at the SGC, Carter is pacing in the gate room, anxiously waiting for her teammates so that they can begin looking for a new home for the Nassians. O'Neill, convinced by Cassie's words, enters the gate room and proceeds to tranquilize Samantha. Despite the dose being enough to bring down an elephant, Carter stays upright. The Gua'uld is revealed and demands to be released through the gate. But the standoff does not last long, for soon Carter succumbs to the tranquilizer. And she awakes behind bars at the SGC. The Gua'uld reveals itself to be Jolinar, Jolinar of Malkshire and demands release. The parasite even promises to return Carter to them, fully restored to who she was. O'Neill does not buy it. Suddenly, Carter's personality emerges and begs O'Neill to believe Jolinar, but he takes it as a Gua'uld trick. Finally, Jolinar reveals that she is a member of the Tok'ra, a group of rebel Goa'uld who oppose the system lords and seek power for good. They are the most hated enemies of the system lords and are constantly working to destabilize the Goa'uld hierarchy. She explains that the system lords will not allow the Tauri to thrive and become a threat. 
Despite having defeated Apophis, a more powerful attack is certainly being planned. While talking with Daniel, Jolinar reveals that she knows where Sharae is. Does she really know? Or is this just a ploy? Teal'c at least is convinced. During the interrogation, Jolinar reveals that she is being hunted by the system lords, and that Jolinar was hiding in the Nassian man from the Ashrak, and it was certainly her presence in the village that caused the deadly attack in the first place. While SG-1 is trying to figure out what to do with Jolinar slash Carter, the Ashrak is making his way back to the SGC, and once in the base, he begins to seek out his prey. When he finds his victim, he attacks Jolinar with a special type of ghouled hand device. He tortures Carter and leaves her on the floor of her cell nearly dead. It doesn't take long for the SGC to realize they've been infiltrated. The Ashrak makes his way to the gate in the hopes of escaping. O'Neill finds Carter nearly dead and immediately gets the doctor to try to save their friend. Teal'c begins searching for the Ashrak. In the gate room, Daniel is guiding some of the Nassians through the gate. It shuts down as the Ashrak arrives. Daniel Seals sees him in military gear, but recognizes him from the hospital dressed as a doctor. Daniel realizes that this man is not who he is pretending to be, but before anything can be done, the Ashrak takes Daniel hostage with a gun pointed at the archaeologist's head. His demands are simple. Open the gate. But Teal'c ends the standoff quite simply and effectively by shooting both Daniel and the hunter with a Zat Nicotel. The stunning bolt separates the two, and Tilk proceeds to shoot the Ashrak a second time, killing him. Meanwhile, Carter is fighting for her life in the infirmary. When she begins to stabilize, she hears O'Neill say to her, You beat it! You won! But she tells him that Jolinar gave its life to save hers. A while later, still emotionally traumatized by all that happened to her, Carter lays in bed in the infirmary. Cassandra comes in to comfort her friend and tells her that she's going to be okay. The end. The end. So, Brent, mm-hmm. in the line of duty, uh-huh. what'd you think? I like this one. Uh, there was... <clears throat> Boy, did it open! It opened strong oh, and yeah. uh, got right into the action right away. And I was a little surprised at the speed with which uh, the reveal of Carter being uh, taken over by a ghoul happened. I mean, mm. obviously, after I watched the episode, it all made sense about how you know why they were going that quickly about revealing all this stuff because it was sure. much more a story about getting to know a ghoul that isn't. Uh, an evil bad guy, um, but rather uh, this other branch of ghoul that are uh, you know, further making the universe more interesting and more complicated. Indeed. Um, but yeah, so like the storytelling, the pacing was really good and the the sort of the the interplay between uh, the what was going on in the story as far as like, you know, how it was being developed and what information was being revealed and the pacing. That was a lot of fun. Uh, the uh, the assassin uh, was an interesting twist. Uh, the actors were really doing a good job. Like uh, you know, Amanda Tapping. I thought I thought her performance as uh, what's the guy? What's the what's the thing's name? Jolinar. Jolinar. Um, yeah, I thought that that was yeah pretty good. I mean, like she had some um, you know, there was definitely some malice in her eyes that mm-hmm. uh, you know that was that was coming through, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and then uh, like the sort of the further establishment of well, you know, this was just a it, this was an enriching story in so much as like more information is being revealed about the universe at large, uh, other factions are being described, uh, some you know additional pieces of technology are being revealed, sort of you know with that little handheld assassin thing. I mean that was right, kind of right. neat. Yep. Uh, it, it was just. It was just a fun time. There was definitely a little bit, eh, not too bad. It, you know, like when um, when Teal'c uses the Zat gun at the end to uh, to to disable and then kill the assassin. Um, you know, 
boy, isn't it, boy, isn't it convenient that we got a hold of those guns recently, right? Like, uh, it, that sure can solve some problems here. Well, and the banter, I mean, you know, afterwards was exactly kind of fun. But that's exactly why O'Neill or, or Teal grabbed that weapon for this purpose. Of course. Right? No, 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 totally. Um, it's just, I'm enjoying it. It's yeah. like, uh, it's, it's like having the phasers have a stun setting, right? Like, yeah. it allows you to be yeah. a bit more versatile with this thing as opposed to just going bang, bang, you know. So, yep. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, it was it's it this was the this was a fun one. This was a fun episode. I was really enjoying watching it. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed this episode as well. I love mm-hmm. that it just starts in media res, right? The action just boom, you mentioned this, right? It yeah. just starts and then you see death gliders flying over the place and people running and and you know it cannot wait, keep moving, you know, yep. all of this stuff. Uh and and you immediately start asking yourself, what the heck is going on? What's Totally. Um, you know, what, what's happening with all of this stuff? Um, and it just jumps right into the action and it just kind of, it, it stays on that pace the entire episode. Yeah. I thought the pacing was, yeah. was, uh, it wasn't rushed, but it was quick. And I like that. Yes. Um, yes, me too. Other 237 refugees. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, not did all of we... them were hurt, but there were enough injured that they had to spill over into a different facility. Did, did we, were we given an explanation as to what the SG-1 team was doing on um, Nasanar or Nasanar? Nasia. Um, Nasia, We don't, it. we don't find out why they were there specifically. Uh-huh. Um, you can make the assumption that they were going through their standard pro- procedures of, you know, visiting planets and whatnot, um... Uh, it's possible, probably likely, that they had visited this a couple of different times, or at least some SGC personnel had visited Nasia a few sure. times. Um, but we don't know why SG-1 was there in that moment and what brought them up there or exactly, you know, what led to... I mean, obviously we can piece together that the Ashrak was closing in on on Jalinar and yeah. that... Um, you know there was stuff going on there, and that's why the, the the attack happened. But but we don't really know all the details of of what led up to that point. I mean, so. regard almost regardless, like it kind of doesn't. I mean, I, when it when the episode opened, I was definitely wondering, you know, what's going on. I was also pleased to see the um, set design and special effects budget seem to has go, seem to have gone up mm-hmm. uh, a bit. With the uh, the number of death gliders swinging around and the number of explosions that they were able to take to to film and do stuff with, and so that was fun. Yep. Um, the uh, makeup that they're putting on the uh, actors, you know, granted they're mostly just like little like tattooy type things. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm acknowledging that they're they're putting more effort into the visual details of the show. Yeah. And uh, I like that. That's yep. really cool. Oh, also, uh, you know, a little bit more effort into the special effects. Like, uh, you know, on two occasions, we get to see the little skull oh, uh, yeah. glow action because of the handheld and bad I, thing. I thought that was a really cool visual effect. I uh, thought so, too. Uh, you know, when, when, when you know, he, he, especially when, when the Ashrak was attacking Sam, and and you yes. see her face just kind of her head is just kind of thrashing and the you know the the it goes back and forth kind of you see the skull and you see your expressions and all of that stuff. Uh, I thought that was uh, a really cool special effect there. They did a good um, job on that. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was fun. I liked that one. Um, and then uh, yeah, you were right. Or oh, sorry, you're gonna no, say something else. Go ahead. Go ahead. Cassandra, you're right. Yep. Cassandra's back. Cassandra's back. Uh, and. Uh, once again, I find myself being like, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know why I have this like emotional tug, but you know, she, I can't remember exactly at what point of the episode I was, I was recalling, uh, that moment of just, just cold, Hatred that I was having for the Gould back in um, Solitudes, no, no singula- singularity, singularity. Um, back in Singularity, where it was uh, speculated that she might be a weapon, right? Like, like, yeah. like the whole point was that uh, you know that she was a she was a ploy, uh, 
and and you know ice started running through my veins and i'm like all right these guys need to go away forever uh there was something that was kind of harkening back to that in this episode and it was kind of happening again to me where i'm just like oh those 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 no good terrible i was thinking much stronger words than that but uh right right but still so yeah so one thing yeah. we learned in this one about Cassie is that, uh, like, at the end of Singularity, we learned that Dr. Frazier was going to care for her for a period of time until a suitable adoption family can can be found. Uh, yes. And now we have found that, in fact, Cassie has been adopted by uh, Dr. Frazier. Uh, I believe you. Is that, was that firmly established doesn't matter well, uh cassie is still a part of janet frazier's life right now yes uh and and uh yeah yeah okay. no, that was cool yep and it was also cool to see the sg1 members you know like clearly have had maintained contact with her yep uh, yeah it, it, well you know, and yeah. it was yeah the, the, it, it was nice. It was it was it was pretty neat. It was it was good to see her back. Yep. that's really kind of what I'm yep. driving at. Yep. So, um, uh, you know, they said that they were looking for uh, a planet to put, you know, for the refugees, and they say, mentioned yep. P3X422, and I'm like, I wonder if that's something that we have heard about before. And I looked it up, and no. Yeah. No. Uh, Brand new. We we haven't heard anything about P3X422. That's not a place that we've been before. So. I did. Uh, I, I would like to register another goof complaint. It's okay. not really a goof. It's just a, it, an acknowledgement of how things are. Uh, when I think it was this episode when uh, Hammond and yes, this was ha- when Hammond and O'Neill were at the board, I think looking for potential places to put the refugees, mm-hmm. all of the labels, I was noticing the labels on the star systems. And the orientation of the letters were clearly positioned so that the camera could read them, not the people positioned on the other side of the glass. Oh, really? <laughs> now, granted, I, go, I I know why they did that. It's television. But, yeah. you know, on the same token, I'm like, oh. Yeah, you know, I think I have seen that piece of backwards. glass the other direction as well. Uh, With the letters going in the Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't, in my opinion, uh, shooting it. It could be that that piece of glass is harder to move than we're giving it credit for. But shooting it uh, in the direction where the letters are going backwards for the viewer wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Right. Like, those are backwards letters. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. That's because the people that we are looking at through the glass are reading the board. And to read the board, the letters have to – they don't have to, but it's better if they – it's better if they go in the correct direction. Come try Right. So – Totally. We learned a couple of things in this episode, Brent. Uh, we learned that uh, there is some sort of connection between having Nakuda in your system and sensing mm-hmm. the Gua'uld. Oh, I mean, I caught that line, but I didn't quite. I thought that she had a preternatural ability to understand where, where Gua'uld were because of the Nakuda, but that was because of the like device. I don't... Uh, I didn't appreciate that uh, Nakwada is a Gould detector. Uh, well, uh, I mean, they don't really know exactly what's going on, but that's what they certainly mm-hmm. are just suggesting. That I mean, uh-huh. the device that she had left residual Nakwada in her system. The device itself yes. is gone. Yes. Right? And so they're suppos- making a supposition that it's the Nakwada in her bloodstream, in her system, that allows her to somehow sense other Gua'uld's, which mm-hmm. uh, also have Nakuda in their system, I think. Oh. Uh, that might be a... Whatever. Uh, maybe might, maybe might that's a spoiler. Might be a little bit of a spoiler, but... Whatever. That's okay. I will probably forget about it. That's yep. just how I roll. But anyway, yeah. okay, cool. So cool. Uh, so we, we did we did get a... We did... Uh, yeah, there was that thing. But then you mentioned there was a second thing, or at least, you know, um, you alluded to more than one thing. Oh, well, I've got lots of things to talk about. So... Oh, okay. Uh, one of the things that, you know, there, there's that scene before Jack begins to interrogate the Gould, and he's sitting in, you know, the uh, waiting room where he's sitting in the locker room. I'm not certain where he is, and... And yeah. uh, Teal comes in, and they have that moment, you know, of talking about things. And I thought that that was just great acting for both of those two men. 
And oh, yeah. great character development and moment. Yep. Uh, you know, where you've got Teal'c, who is usually the one, like, like O'Neill is the one who kind of cares for Teal'c, so to speak, you know, because not that Teal'c needs a lot of caring for, but, you know, he's the leader and whatnot. And here you've got a different, you get a role reversal here, where Teal'c definitely walks in here and is able to be empathetic uh, and recognize that this is going to be ridiculously hard for his friend um, and tries yeah. to help him out. I loved that moment. Uh, yeah, and it was also very uh, plausible or felt very genuine mm-hmm. that O'Neill was upset about this, that yeah. uh, that he was going to have to kind of get into a different frame of mind. And it was very plausible and genuine that Teal'c was saying, that's not your friend in there. Right. Um, Don't see and, your friend in there. And then he's like, how do I do that? How, right. How do I look at this person that I've worked with for a year and plus and and has become, you know, a friend and a colleague and yep. and and such and how do I look at her and and see not my friend but something else? How do you do that? Now, as it turns out, uh what's his face? What was his name? I keep forgetting. Jolinar? Jolinar. Turns out Jolinar did an okay job of helping uh O'Neill out with that regard because, you know, even well, except yeah, except for that last little moment there when uh, O'Neill was walking out the door and Jolinar like faked uh, Carter's voice, basically, right? Right. Well, that's actually you know. a question that I had. You know, so like in that moment when when you hear Samantha quotes Samantha say, you know, Jack, he's he's telling the truth. Listen to him. All of that stuff. So, is that really Sam, or is that the ghoul pretending to be Sam? It, so, you know, I think that we should take it at face value because once the door closes, uh, Jolinar then comes right back and uh, vocalizes something to the effect of that the ruse didn't work, right? Like When will you listen or something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. And, um, you know, turns out uh, Jolinar is not a bad guy, turns out. Uh, there's, there's, it's, it's more complex than that. Um, but you know, would it be likely that if Samantha Carter were suddenly released, that would be the very, very first thing that she would say, like in that way, Mm. you know, like that part doesn't feel particularly authentic. Like if Sam Carter suddenly had the opportunity to regain control, like, I don't think that she would utter that right away. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe so. Regardless, I think that it's fine to just have that moment happen kind of how it played out where it was a bit of a trick. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for me, I, I like to just kind of chew on that and says, you know, is that really Sam? Uh, or is yeah. it not? Uh, does it make a difference? Um, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Either way, uh, O'Neill handled it correctly. You know, you can't pre- pre- presume that that's actually Sam talking there. Totally. You have to assume that it's not. Until you have something else going on, um, yeah. But that did make that that look and that that uh, feeling of O'Neill as he has to walk out of the room with that ringing in his ears. That just made it that much more poignant. Uh, there, this is reminding me that I think that it was uh, Daniel that was, you know, like I, I'm kind of real. If I'm remembering this right, it is turning into a, something of a criticism that I have for the character of Daniel Jackson. He's really, really trusting. Like, if I remember right, I think it was he that was kind of leading the charge that said, "Yeah, Jolinar's this dude that is like totally against the Gould. That's rad." Um, well, you got as much that's that a, from Teal as you did from from. Okay, that's fair. Um, but you are right yeah. that 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 Daniel does tend to be. A very trusting person, um, and and he he is always one of those guys that will assume the absolute best of you sure. until something is proven otherwise, uh, which perhaps makes him a little naive. Um, mm, yeah, but yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's it's a character quirk. Yeah, it's the reason why I'm starting to develop a criticism for it is only because it's getting, it's starting to feel less plausible as time goes on. Mm. And I'm willing to back off of it because this still remains a television show and they still have to get a story done in 40 minutes. Like it's, you know, at some point you need to have somebody who is a trusted character say something like, 
we should keep going along the storyline rails here because there's a story going on. And then that's okay, and we carry on. Well, I mean, Daniel definitely becomes uh, the moral anchor of the team. Uh, Mm -hmm. In addition to his archaeological expertise and all of that, um, one of his roles on the team of SG-1 is to be that moral anchor, to not have that... Because all three of the other ones have military backgrounds. Yes. All three of the other ones are trained uh, to uh, assume there's a threat and neutralize it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Daniel doesn't have that background, and he is the one that says, whoa, wait a second, you can't just simply assume there's a threat. We need to establish that there is one first uh, before we start shooting things. Um, right. And you can call that a complaint. I'm going to call that uh, good humanity. <laughs> oh, totally. No, it's definitely the right thing. Uh, it's, um, for me, it's a question of plausibility, like I yeah. said, right? Like, over time, as tricks keep getting played, uh, as the baseline assumption is that ghouls are dirty rats. Um, you know, like what's to stop this Gould from saying, yeah, I'm totally part of the resistance. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You could, you can check my papers. In fact, I think they even made it a joke about like, they don't carry identification or yeah, something. That's right. True. Like, that's so, but doesn't matter because overall we get the establishment of this resistance wing. Right. The Tokra. The, Gould, the resistance. The Tokra. Uh, what do you uh, think of this Tokra thing? I'm I'm happy for it, and it makes sense, and I'm so glad that we're allowing for complex uh, political structures in uh, in alien cultures. One of the things that I can't stand about sci-fi shows is that they go to a planet, and the whole planet is presumed to be just like this little spot that you're looking at. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, and it's just the way it is, uh, but on the same token, like, oh, yes, finally, we're going to have some rich... Uh, some rich aspects uh, where not all of the ghoul are what is you know not all hashtag not all ghoul um, they, they need <laughs> oh to oh my <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so but point is like there's there's uh, there's a complexity and I know exactly what they're going to be doing with this they're going to be in, uh, allowing this complexity to uh, allow for storytelling opportunities and for um, plot advancement and for uh, for complications to arise to, that create tensions that need to be resolved. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And every time they introduce these types of of new wrinkles into the story, uh, you know, it's it's uh, exponentially m- more interesting because there's so many avenues that you can go down with this thing, uh, or at least. Now, now that I'm realizing it, like, that's... Huh, it's kind of funny to me how sometimes the hooks work and sometimes they don't. I'm realizing I didn't have that same feeling when I was introduced to Fish Dude, and I didn't have that same feeling, not really, when Hathor came on the scene. Hmm. Um, right? Like, both of those felt more throwaway than this. And that's curious to me. I wonder why I'm feeling that. I'll have to think about that one for a minute. Yeah. Um, like I'm wondering if it was a, a, if it was an artifact of how the story was told. And so they were telegraphing or, well, maybe not. Maybe we, maybe you and I specifically talked about fish dude specifically. I think we even mentioned we're never going to see him again. I think I mentioned Um, that to you that we'll never see fish dude again. Yeah. Um, So maybe that's more of a, but maybe that's something else. That's that, that is worth, uh, holding on to because it's just, it's a fascinating thing. It's like, uh, what is being, you know, is there a method of storytelling that kind of telegraphs that uh, right. not just that I am intending to have this moving forward, um, but also that it is able to, right? Because, like, I remember in the TV series Friends, they uh, added a character that they anticipated was going to be uh, the love interest for one of the girls, Um and uh, then they were on, they filmed that first episode and they had one scene that just kind of played out the way they had intended to, to except uh, when they were viewing it, they realized, no, 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 mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. And that's the end. So even though the writers originally intended uh, to make that character uh, a long-term character, uh, it ended immediately because of how things happened on screen. Um, sure. And I wonder, you know, what is it that the writers and the actors are doing 
to telegraph both subtly and not uh, the the long-term usage, for want of a better term, of these characters. Sure, sure. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's... Yeah. But regardless, I'm yeah. I'm uh, looking forward to what uh, what what adventures are going to come our way with this. Right. So let's see here. Uh, just one throwaway comment. Uh, you know, so the Ashrak had that device he had in his stomach that he swallowed at some point in time. And then he had to uh, yes uh, re- re- relieve himself of. But I'm like, oh gosh, swallowing that must have really sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of that was that was definitely a oh, whoa whoa okay. <laughs> Um, and I think then, um, uh, I have just kind of one more thing that I want to mention here. Uh, you know, at the very end, when you see Sam, you know, she survives her experience and it's established that she's dealing with some serious, uh, some element of PTSD, at least in the short term, if not long term, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just lying in the bed and, uh, uh, you know, Cassandra comes to kind of cheer her up and whatnot. And, and I love this moment where Cassie comes and says, hey, you're going to be okay. It's, it's going to be all right. Um, and, and she did it perfectly on that. And so often you sit there and you expect that smile to come from the, the down character, the yes. sad character. And we don't get yes. it. And right. I'm like... That is so beautiful. I don't know if that was uh-huh. uh, uh, Amanda Tapping's uh, personal decision to do or if that was one of the directing things that Martin Wood suggested for her. Uh-huh. I don't know, but it was absolutely perfect. And it was just, yeah, wonderful. I loved that. Yeah, that did a good job on that one. Yeah, I noticed that too. So, well, do you have anything else? No, I don't think so. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Set up a lot of really cool stuff. I'm looking forward to what, what happens from it. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, so then, Brent, in the line of duty, uh huh. out of seven chevrons, how many chevrons does it get? So for me, it's, so it, it's, getting, it's getting a good number of them. Um, I'm trying to decide if it's... Uh, like I get the feeling that there's a lot of this stuff in here that is going to be really meaningful going forward. I don't know if that is wishful wishful thinking on my part, if that's uh, you know me getting excited for the second season or what. But um, you know, I'm going to go with uh, that. This gets six out of seven chevrons. The storytelling was good, pacing was really good, acting was great. Uh, uh, universe lore was expanded in in believable ways and meaningful ways. Uh, the, uh, nothing felt extraneous, uh, barely anything was overdone or, I mean, it was just, it was just good television. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So as I'm talking the thing through, yeah, I'm going to give it a six. Awesome. Brent gives it a six. Me. Um, yeah, I'm going to totally agree with you, Brent. It's a six. Uh, uh-huh. I was sitting there thinking, what would I give this as you were talking? And I'm like, oh, come on, Brent, you got to give it a six. It, it deserves a six. It's, it's the only <laughs> right number that's there. Um, the, you know, as, as we were talking, we didn't say anything particularly negative about this at all. Correct. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's right. I could have brought up the one spot where I thought it's just, um, you know, when, when they're sitting around the table and the debriefing early on and we see, uh, Carter kind of acting a little bit weird, some of yeah. the lines that Daniel has, um, are, are said with just kind of a little bit of a, you know, and, and and as an actor myself, I'm looking at these lines and I'm realizing, okay, these lines are just hard to say naturally. And, oh. And, and I, I noticed that, but, you know, by no means did it pull me out of things. By yeah, no means, you know, right. or anything like that. It was just, you know, I was like, and, and frankly, you know, when you're all sitting around a table and all you have are the words that are on the page and you're trying to act and emote and all of these things and, right. uh, you know, that's challenging. But so that's the tiniest little bit of sliver of things that I could say negative about this, and that's only the slightest tiny little sliver, right? Um, right. But everything else—the the story, the plot, the the pacing, uh, the acting, the direction, uh, 
it was all really, really good. Yeah. So this was a good one. Yeah, a great way to kind of start off uh, season two. I know that technically uh, the Serpent's Lair was the season premiere. But that was kind of part of the other story. So this is kind of kicking right. off the new season. So This is really getting it going. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that, that, that is left out here uh, with the intention that we're going to see these in the future. Um, and uh, that'll be exciting to watch. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I think that this is, well, you know, I have already said it. I'm really looking forward to where this is going to be going. Yep. Okay. Well, Brent, the next episode... Yes is called Prisoners. Uh-huh. What is Prisoners about? The SG-1 team goes through the gate to find themselves in a strange world full of crystalline entities, <laughs> different than the ones they came across before. They walk forward and they are greeted by this harmonious sing-songy noise that is the crystalline speech. After analyzing this speech for a while, they're able to start to interpret what's actually being said. And it's a very generic, hello, how are you? And they say, we're really good. And how are you doing? We're doing fine, thanks. And uh, after a while of conversing, they ask them, what do you call yourselves? And the crystalline entities say, we are the prisoners. SG-1, of course, is immediately taken aback from this. Who's keeping you captive? How can we release you? What on earth can be done about this? The crystalline entities are confused. What do you mean? They said. We're the prisoners. That's, that's nothing bad. Dialogue goes back and forth. Tensions mount. A, ha- a plan to free them is hatched only to realize it's been a misunderstanding all along. They really have been saying prism. Prismers. They're the prismers. <laughs> Join us next week for a very happy Stargate SG-1 wow. Prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw where you were going fairly early on, and I was just wondering how you were going to get there. How, how I was going to turn that corner? <laughs> oh, I better step up my game, get you off, get you off, the, get you off the scent. Ah, uh, well, you know. Uh, shall we watch the uh, promo to find out what actually happens on What actually the is in Prisoners? Sure. Uh, just a quick note, Brent. The uh, end of this on the YouTube video I have is kind of trimmed off, and so it just kind of stops Cut abruptly. Off. It's just going to just sort of like... <clears throat> okay, yeah. good to know. All right. Are you ready? Yes. I'm hitting go now. On the next Stargate SG-1. All right, kids. We're due back. It was supposed to be a routine recon mission. Hell is that? It was supposed to be a routine mission. Until Richard Dean Anderson and his team oh, were held hostage. Of, uh, you yeah. are prisoners. And you the are... The Kryptonians just... have captured them. You will be huh? sent through the Stargate. Thank you. To the prison Hadante. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. For the remainder of your lives. And now, SG-1 oh, no. will be banished to a land time forgotten. The land that time forgot. And that is how our video ends. Is it going to be uh, with uh, with Littlefoot? <laughs> uh, sure, Brent. I'm sure that there will be some awesome. little feet in there. Oh, good. Good to hear. I can't remember any of the other characters' names, but, you know. You know. Uh, I did find it interesting in that little promo that it's like, join Richard Dean Anderson and his team as he does yeah. this. And I'm like, um, no, he's the actor. We're joining Colonel O'Neill and his team as yeah. he does this. I've noticed that they that they've really been pushing it. You know, Richard Dean Anderson stars in yeah. Stargate SG-1, yeah. which is okay, but, you know, whatever. Anyway. All right. So that is Prisoners, and we'll find out mm-hmm. uh, what happens... Uh, next time, we'll see if there are any crystalline entities. We'll <laughs> see if there are any little feet. And we'll see if Richard Dean Anderson makes an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so, uh, anything else you have to add, Brent? Nope. I'm nope. looking forward to the next one. 
All right. So, you dear listeners, tell us what you think of In the Line of Duty. Uh, tell us what your thoughts and opinions are about this and what's happening as season two begins. Email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Tell us what you think. Join us on Facebook at the Walking Through Stargate Facebook page and group. Uh, let us know what you think and let's keep things moving. Yay, season two! Yay, season two! And with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.